0: Talkzone.com Thursday morning here in the Chicagoland area. Yesterday we had rainy skies and tornado sirens going off in the city of Chicago today. Not a cloud in the sky, and it was just, it's its kind of a fitting day after what we saw yesterday as possibly one of the greatest sports days uh, in a very long time. And uh, I signed off the show yesterday. Again, I'm Justin Weiner on the other side, David Olson, our tireless engineer producer, we're supposed to be joined by Joel Rodwanski, the big dog, but uh, as, as I see across the glass, David Olsen just throwing his hands up in the air, doesn't know what to do. Uh, of course, the the reliable Joel Rodwanski, as we like to call him. Uh, but again, getting back to yesterday, what a day in sports. Uh, a fantastic day, and a day that essentially turned over into the next day, if you're looking at the Wimbledon Uh, Tennis match with John Isner and Nicholas Mahout. A a game, or I should say a tennis match that has just transcended reality. It it is unbelievable to watch two guys in such great shape play over a hundred games of tennis. It is almost unheard of. No, it is unheard of. And I cannot believe that it's actually going on, and it's actually carried on into today. Unfortunately, in the studio here, I only have a TV that sees World Cup soccer, so I can't really uh, tell you what's going on, but it was nonetheless a fantastic tennis match. We'll get into all of that and more, but finally we are joined by the big dog, Joel Rodwanski. Joel, how you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic, Justin, and I'm glad you're doing the show today, Uh we're uh, really sorry about that. I had a little bit of issue, but it's all right. Uh, don't worry. I'll be keeping you updated on everything tennis. And I, I am dumbfounded by that. You know, I was working all day last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I finally get you know get to check my phone in the SPN and ESPN. I start checking baseball scores. I'm like, hey, I wonder what that tennis match ended up at. And then it hadn't even finished. I was totally shocked. <laughs> I mean, that that is really some crazy. That's it's honestly that is one of the most remarkable stories I've ever remembered in any sporting event anywhere. To be honest with you.
0: It, well, it, it it is. It's one of the most remarkable stories right now, and it's still going on. The longest match ever. It's fantastic. I mean, it was postponed two straight nights. You have it at 59-59 going into today, and it's in the fifth set. There have been zero service breaks in the fifth set, which is basically why it hasn't ended. And, Joel, I don't know how much of a tennis fan you are. I, I wouldn't call myself an avid tennis fan.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I but I'm definitely not.
0: watching that yesterday... It, it kind of brought chills into my body because I'm watching a guy like John Isner, who's 6'9, 250 pounds, and is still able to serve a tennis ball 100 miles per hour after having played seven hours and six minutes of a fifth set.
1: And And they had played the day before, too, very long. So, I mean, like, it's every single thing that you can possibly think of that is, like, unbelievable about this is exactly what's happening.
0: It, it, it is definitely an unbelievable thing, and we'll talk about that and a lot more. And Joel, we have a we're gonna have a special guest coming up here in just about five minutes. Uh, a local prodigy, John Shire, who uh, it's a big day for him. Uh, one of the premier standouts in Illinois high school basketball, and also one of the the better players in Duke basketball history, will join us uh, just about ten after the hour, in about five minutes to talk a little bit about the NBA draft. And uh we will talk about that, the World Cup, and, and a lot more. But let's get back to uh Wimbledon here. And, Joel, 6 hours, 33 minutes was the previous record for a match. It was set at the 2004 French Open. Okay. Which, <laughs> this fifth set, this fifth set eclipsed that mark.
1: Just the last set, and that is it, the last set. I mean, every single thing that you can think of, both these guys have broken records for aces. In, in a a single match, because it's one, I don't know who's in first, but one of them has the, the most ever, the other guy has the second most yeah, ever. Yeah,
0: Isner's at 98, Mahut was at 95 going into today. Again, I don't know what that is right now, because, I again, I'm, and, I'm blind here without a TV watching it.
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but do you think these guys, I mean, if you can, since nobody's broken serve, but if you've watched it, sometimes they don't even go after the serve because they're so exhausted. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that's a little too difficult, I'm not going after it. Do you think they're in cahoots? Do you think they worked on this and hey, let's create a story and let's just keep on blasting serves past each other for a couple of days and try to try to actually get a name for ourselves?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I I have to imagine that both of these guys. It's by the way now at sixty-two, sixty-two in the fifth set. This is just this is this is borderline absurd. But you know what? I, I don't like to think of it as a conspiracy theory like that because that just. That would r- almost ruin the story. I honestly think that these are two guys that have gone into their reserves. They've, they've been far into their reserves. They've, they've dug deeper than anything they have ever had in their life, and they have found some type of energy, some type of sports uh, uh, mojo, if you will, and they are just playing on a completely different level. They are exhausted. If you watched Isner yesterday, he—I mean—he clapped when Mahut dove for two balls. He was just—he was flabbergasted at the fact that that happened. I could not believe it. And these two guys are exhausted. They are dying on the court, and it's—it's it's honestly, like I said earlier, it—it it gave me chills.
1: You know, the, the commentary for this has been pretty funny too, because they, the, the stuff that they've brought up and stuff you would never normally hear somebody bring up, they were like, well, uh, you know, these guys have showed no sign of frustration towards the other one whatsoever over the last couple of days. I'm like, does that (laughs) normally happen in tennis?
0: Uh, I know. know. I'm thinking we're we're not dealing with John McEnroe here. We're not going to see a lot of uh, 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 tennis records being thrown. But, I mean, you look down this, just this scorecard. In the third set, Mahut won 9-7 in the tiebreaker. And then in the fourth set, Isner won 7 3 at are Now they're in, this, they're in the fifth set at 62 62. Honestly, Joel, I, I got to believe that, you know, 12 12 2012 is when the Mayan calendar, you know, stops and the world ends, but Isner and Mahut play on.
1: <laughs> Hopefully we'll be able to still watch it after that particular day. <laughs> I,
0: I, gotta, I, I just can't. I don't see. And I watched this. It really postponed my entire day yesterday. I was not able to do anything productive yesterday because I was watching this tennis match. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of people, even, even people that were at work. They were sitting there following along their computer. And thanks to the ESPN3, you can watch it on your computer. But it, it was it was remarkable. It's the greatest tennis match ever. It's one of the greatest sports moments ever. It's an epic. It's It's an epic match.
1: It it really is that big. I mean, it is one of the greatest sporting moments in the history of Western civilization that that something like this would actually happen. And it it was so huge that the second match of the World Cup, when it started, uh, the the people were like, the guy that was calling the game actually was like, I wonder how many people are watching uh, Wimbledon instead of us right now, actually brought it up before he started calling the Australian uh, who they played? Serbia. Whoever
0: they. Playing. Yeah, and and, and I'll, I'll build off of that point is that they had to switch networks. ESPN had to switch networks in order to cover it. They were on ESPNU, then they put it on ESPN, and then because of the World Cup game, they had to go back to ESPNU. It, it was, it just, it's the never-ending tennis match. I feel like we're watching that movie, Never-Ending Story, and we just need a big dog, a flying dog or something like that to go across the sky over the skies of England, and then all of a sudden, we're in a movie.
1: Yeah, but the tweets have come out of this. It's pretty funny. It's uh, like somebody, like, all these guys had these great tweets, and all of a sudden Andy Murray, like, gets up on his, uh, who is a, an, a, what do you call it? he's an English tennis player. Mm-hmm. And it, it went something like, this proves that tennis is the most grueling sport. I'm like, what is, no, this proves that this particular match is the most grueling sport. No offense to hey, tennis players, but yeah, well, I, would, I would have to say hockey or football might be a little bit more soccer, a little more grueling than typically what tennis is.
0: Well, J. A. Adonde had a pretty good one as well. He he said that you know it was 880, or I think it's 881 points, uh, 612 in the fifth set, and it was something to the extent of you know, don't ever talk to me about pitch counts. And it's true. I mean, sure, you throw a hundred, hundred and some pitches in a in a baseball game, but you're throwing. I mean, look at Isner. He was barely able to get his arm, his tennis racket above his head. That's how crazy it was. That's yeah. how nuts this tennis match was.
2: So,
1: like, when people are comparing it to extra innings in baseball or whatever, it would be like in the 1980s. You had to suspend two Cub games for tar- darkness, and it's the same game.
0: Of course because it was
1: twice they had it suspended for darkness that just doesn't happen
0: yeah it, it, it was nuts and I got to be honest I mean we'll get back to it here uh, Joel but right now we are joined oh actually I take that back it uh, something hung the the phone line hung up we were joined on the line by uh, by John Shire the former Glenbrook North standout and the former Duke standout uh, hopefully he will call back uh, but we'll talk about the NBA draft here and while we uh, wait for want him, to
1: watch the the actual tennis match, I wouldn't blame him
0: yeah, he exactly. I I wouldn't blame him for hanging up especially if this tennis match is, you know, in in a point where it could be over with really quickly. Um I I just I don't see that happening. I see this tennis match being a very very long and grueling grueling affair. And uh right now though, we are joined by uh the only Duke player to record 2000 points, 500 rebounds, 400 assists, 253 pointers and 200 steals. John Shire joins us on the line on two guys in a mic with Joel Rodwanski and Justin Weiner. And John, it's got to be a pretty nerve-wracking day and a very exciting day at the same time for you.
3: you no, know, it is. It's uh, obviously you have a lot of different emotions, but um, just uh, thankful for the opportunity, you know, mostly.
0: Yeah, uh, and John, uh, one question before I let uh, Joel get into this here is. You you look back on, you know, you grow up as a basketball player and, and you grow up with dreams of making it to the NBA, dreams of playing in college, dreams of, you know, winning a national title, a state title, and all these just lofty goals. And yet, for the most part, you've accomplished them. How do you, have you come to terms with that? How, how do you really comprehend that you've basically, you've accomplished most of the goals that you have set for yourself in your life?
3: Yeah, well, that's really important to me, you know, since I think, you know, I think certain kids have certain goals or dreams, and for me, I always dreamed about winning national championship and playing in the NBA, you know, for some guys it might be one or the other, um, I think that's one thing that's helped me is, you know, I've dreamed about doing both, so, um, you know, obviously I was able to do one of them, and uh, hopefully uh, the next one now I'll be able to do as well.
0: Oh, we bring in uh, Joel Rodwanski, the big dog here, and Joel talking with John Shire. Uh, it's a it's a, a big day, obviously, for the NBA draft. Your questions for him?
1: Yeah, you know, I have to admit the NBA draft snuck up on me a couple days ago. Normally, I'm usually all over. But
0: what's your typical?
1: What is your expectation today? What do you think you're going to be taking?
3: Yeah, well, for me, I'm really not trying to um, worry about so much about where I get picked. You know, I uh, I think um, if you can tell me who the picks were last year I think it would be hard for you to tell me but if you were to tell me who the successful rookies are um, that's what's important to me so I'm really just trying to take it Um, hopefully there's a team that likes me for who I am I don't need everyone to like me and uh, really I'm just trying to use this tonight to enjoy the year I've had and really uh, move on to the next chapter so hopefully that works out tonight but that's really my attitude I'm really not trying to get so caught up about where I go in the draft. Now, last week
2: last ahead, week Jeff.
1: when we were talking about you, we were actually thinking that you were gonna end up in like like late first round, which might end up put you on a better team, which we think would actually be a really good situation for you. Mm-hmm. We think that if you're on a good team, that you can actually fit into one of those a lot better than maybe a poor team for some reason.
3: Yeah, well it definitely takes, you know, some pressure off me and obviously, you know, the better teams you get if you're playing with guys, you know, like Steve Nash or Kobe Bryan, obviously guys like that. Of course, it makes it a lot easier for you to just uh, play a certain role. Um, so you know, if I if I want to lay first, uh, second round. Um, I, hopefully, all I care about is dealing with a team that uh, wants me to be there this year. And um, you know, I think I'll find that whether it's through the draft or um, some other way.
0: Yeah, and and John, the one thing that I've, I've always wondered about this scenario is, are teams looking at you to fill a specific Position a specific void that they're looking at, or are you going into this and hoping that teams look at you as just a guy that can help them win games? And are you kind of just taking it as it is?
3: I think some teams look at it more by position, and some teams look at it, like you said, as just a guy who can, you know, help win games for you. Um, you know, so that's the that's the thing I try to say. You know, I might, like, you know, I don't know what you want to call me. You can call me a point guard, shooting guard, whatever. But for me, I just want to win, and I think I've proven that you know that I can do that. So that's the thing I want to translate, you know, um, moving forward, and hope hope teams realize that.
0: Now, John, uh, your entire career, really, it's been kind of an uphill battle. Uh, Teams didn't think you could you could play in college. You had to. They didn't think your game in high school would translate to college. And now there are people questioning if your college game can translate to the NBA. What is it what driving force is making you want to prove these doubters wrong?
3: Well, same thing that it always has. I mean, I think I've always had a, a drive to be great um whatever I did whether it was baseball or basketball um you know, especially basketball. But you know Justin, I mean, going back from high school, you know, people you know doubt me in high school too, so I think that's just part of it. And really, I'm not playing for the people that doubt me. I'm playing for myself, but at the same time, you know, you want to prove obviously to other people that you can play. So that's definitely um something I've always had to deal with and uh you know still uh, still will be.
0: Well, John, uh, I I know you're an avid uh FIFA fan, uh, an avid <laughs> yeah. an avid World Cup watcher. Uh and I and I I hope I know you were doing some workouts yesterday, but were you able to watch the USA game winning goal in the 91st minute?
3: Actually, I had a a workout with the Suns yesterday. And uh, right before we were about to take the court, they had the game on in the training room, and everybody's just like, "Can you believe this?" And uh, sure <laughs> enough, that goal happened, and everyone went crazy in the training room. So it was uh, pretty fun to watch.
0: Oh, that, that's pretty awesome, John. And uh, again, I wish you the best of luck. I will see you later tonight, and uh, hopefully, we are talking about some uh, some good things to come uh, here in the next few days. And uh, I will see you later tonight, buddy. Thanks for jumping on the show.
3: Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Hey, best of luck.
0: John Shire, the standout Duke guard, the standout Glenbrook North high school guard, joined us. Uh, two guys in a mic and Joel. I've been I've been friends with John for a very long time. Uh, I've known him. We've been growing up together, and I can't think of a better kid to and, to finally and, realize all his dreams.
1: I and why do guys from Duke always get hammered so much? Is this I'm, Redick was picked on a lot more than him, but you know throughout the country, especially in the ACC, he's like a lightning rod. You know, and what a nice kid. You know, and, and you know, over if you go to Duke and you have uh, high expectations, you become like the most hated man in America for some for some people. I don't understand why that happens, but if you, if you play in the ACC and you play for Duke, I mean, uh, they put a target on you for some reason. I mean, have you noticed that? You you probably have the, you've seen yeah. what happened to him while he was in college. Obviously, the, he was beloved at Duke and everywhere else in the conference. Everywhere he went, some of the most grotesque sides you would ever see. So,
0: oh, I, it is, it's, it's kind of, it's sad, really. People like to hate on Duke. Now, I I will be honest here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie here. I am not a Duke fan. I was a Duke fan for four years because I had to be. I mean, my, one of my best friends is playing for Duke. He's got a chance to really excel and make it to the NBA. And I, I was, I said to myself, look, I will root for Duke for four years. I would hope you would. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm an Indiana basketball fan. So rooting for Duke was kind of tough, but I don't, I don't hate Duke. I don't hate Duke like a lot of other people do. And I saw it basically growing up with him. He he was doubted throughout high school, throughout college. I mean, you should have seen some of the the signs and and heard some of the chants even in high school and you go on past that you get into college and in the ACC there were times when you know his parents wouldn't even go to games if they were at Maryland because oh, the yeah, fans because were so is
1: worse than brutal. North Carolina.
0: yeah Seriously. the fans are just so brutal they I don't even know what it is about them but they they love to hate on Duke and yet Duke and, is a perennial winner
1: and I mean so that just proves the kid is a tough kid from everything that he went through and And you know what? I'm a diehard Illinois fan, and I think one of the most embarrassing things that Illinois did, besides with the whole Eric Gordon thing when he showed up at Illinois, was Mm. like a lot of Illinois fans started hating on Jonathan Char just because he didn't go to Illinois and he went to Duke. Yeah. The whole Larry Weber thing—he was supposed to go with the Illini. As a diehard Illini, I'm like, let the kid go wherever he wants to go. And then, and I knew right when he went to Duke, I was like, (laughs) he's—he's what he's gonna have to deal with is gonna be absolutely nuts. But. Uh, I, I, I wanted to ask him. I should have done this. Like, what was the craziest question that somebody asked him, like psychologically? But I, I don't think NBA teams are worried about him mentally as maybe other players. You know, because you know a lot of times they ask these guys just absolutely absurd stuff, especially like you know you heard about the NFL thing mm-hmm. this year with like the questions I asked these guys. But I, I don't know if like when an NBA team when they're worried about Jonathan Shire, I don't think they're worried mentally about you know how he's going to handle the NBA. I think they're thinking about other things.
0: But we'll see. Oh, no, and I completely agree with you there, Joel. This, John is, if you look throughout his career, his basketball career, ranging from the AAU ball to small fry basketball in the Chicagoland area to winning the national title for Duke, he's a proven winner. I've seen him going anywhere from the 35th pick to the recent uh, draft board now from Chad Ford has him going to the Utah Jazz at number 55. But, if you're a team that wants a proven winner that wants a guy that is mentally sound that mm-hmm. can really win you ball games and can manage a game at a very high level I don't see how you can pass up on Shire. I just yeah. I don't see it and and of course people are going to say that oh you know I'm being a homer because he's one of my friends, you know I've grown up with them and, and this that and the other but I'm being serious taking all bias aside. He is one of the most complete players. He's the best player. He was the best player on the court in the Final Four, without and, a doubt in my mind. He could ma- he managed the game. He created for himself. He created for his players. And he shined on the biggest stage in college basketball.
1: I don't know how many times uh, you know you watch a draft and you hear somebody, like uh, Jay Billis, he, he hates when this was said. A couple years ago, I started bringing this up. Oh, this guy's long and he's athletic. Can he dribble? Can the guy shoot? Can the guy see the floor? Because if you can't do those like particular things, does he have a heart? Does that really? Does it matter if you're long and athletic? If you don't know how to play the game of basketball, exactly. And when we, when we like the the late '90s and early offs, whatever you want to call them, I swear teams are going towards athleticism more than basketball skill. It was the NBA was it was horrible for a couple of years, and it just seems like the last couple of years they're going back to like they they draft like Evan Turner is going to get drafted not because he's long and athletic, it's because the guy can dribble and shoot the basketball. Now it's not, not really more on potential; it is on Can you play the game? I I I feel it's going back towards uh, skill sets and not athleticism in in the NBA. So that's why I think he might get drafted a little bit higher than. And he's a better athlete than people think. But I think he's gonna he will get hopefully drafted by a good team because if he's on a good team, I think he'd be a perfect piece.
0: Oh, if he that's what we've been that's what I've been hearing and that's what we've been hearing throughout the last few weeks about where he's going to go in this draft is that he will go to a team that is already established as a power in the NBA or as a top five team in either one of the conferences, putting him on a team that is not a proven winning team is not going to be as beneficial for him, nor will it be as beneficial for the other team. You want this kid, you want John on a team that is already winning, where he can fill a role or even excel in a role so that you can help or that you can take another step towards winning that national or the excuse me, the NBA championship.
1: If you think, if you put him on the Lakers right now, he, he could take Adam Morrison's spot and actually give them somebody that could fill the, the fill the hole up a little bit with the basketball. So,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. In terms of his athletic ability, uh, this was, uh, I want to say, two, three years ago. I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the VO2 max test, but it's a test that tests your uh, your basically your oxygen intake and, and how much oxygen you can take in uh, during uh, an endurance test,
2: it's uh,
1: the one where Lance Armstrong is like ridiculous. He's like twice as good as the second guy in the world, right?
0: Yeah. Like- so here's here's where it here's where it is. A world class male athlete typically exceeds about a score of eighty on the VO2 max test. Now, according to tech, a Texas study, I believe Lance Armstrong was at eighty five. Let me let me fact check. Yes, he was at eighty five. John registered an 89
1: what no 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 that's impossible are you serious
0: an 89 he was four points higher than Lance Armstrong on the maxigen, or maximum maximum oxygen test maximum well,
1: vo2 maxigen,
0: I'm I'm going maximum and oxygen and I'm putting them together there's a new word that we can throw in the Google dictionary.
1: Well, you know, I'm sure he'd like to, we we always put words together in the United States. So in a couple of years, when everybody knows that test, you can say that you coined it. So,
0: hey, I, I gotta love it. But that that is just a a symbol and, and a sign of how good he can be, how dangerous he can be. I mean, he doesn't get tired. I, I, I've known the kid for a very long time. Like I said, I've never seen him get tired ever. And,
1: and after watching this World Cup for a while, like oh. you gotta, I just love phrases, and you know, you've heard this. You got to credit the American fitness for this victory. You know what I mean? So, something has to be said in the fourth quarter if a guy is uh, uh, getting a little bit more oxygen, is being able to actually participate at the level that they want to. You know what? You play better if you're in better shape than other people. That really does make a difference.
0: Yeah. And when you look at how many minutes he played during uh, Duke's national championship run, he, by about three or four minutes on average, played more than the next the next uh, guy on this team and really that's how he's done it his entire career you rarely see him on the bench and if you're an NBA team and tonight you're sitting there and you're whether it's the late first round early second round or late second round you know I, I don't see him going in the early first round because usually they take guys that you know are just tremendous athletic guys that have unbelievable upside. Yeah, and no, I'm not I'm, saying, I'm not saying that John doesn't have that. I'm saying though that John is a guy that is a proven winner that a team drafting later on in the first round that is going to need a guy to fill a role that may not be the stud NBA standout like John Wall could be or that Evan Turner could be. But if you're a team later in those rounds that is already a proven winner like the Lakers, like the Jazz, uh, I would, I would not look past him.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either whatsoever. And you talk about a guy that has done things in college that nobody else at Duke has done. That that is a lot. And I, you know, I'm about production. So something can be, has to be said for somebody who does everything that he did while he was at Duke. If you look at this draft after the, Turner and Wall, people are talking Wesley Johnson, a couple big guys. You know what? There's a lot of question marks all through that first round. Mm-hmm. You at least know what you're getting with him. You, you know exactly the type of player you're getting, and if you're a good team, sometimes you know I doubt you're going to get uh, your typical all star on the 20th pick. You, very rarely does that does that happen. So it would be nice if you're a GM to realize, hey, this is a guy that I can count on for a certain amount of minutes, as uh, playing a certain type of role, and most importantly, he's going to take good shots and not turn the basketball over. So,
0: well, that's that's you you said it right there. Is someone that you can count on if you're yeah. an NBA, if you're a GM. And you want a kid that's going to be a a good player, a solid player that is going to help you win. And I keep saying that is going to help you win. But if you want a guy that is going to put you in the right direction to get into the playoffs, to make it to the NBA Finals, to win the NBA Finals, there is no better kid than John Shire. He's a tremendous athlete. As, as we can see by the VO2 Max test, you know he, he's better than Lance Armstrong in terms of, of of his fitness level, but not only that, he's a good kid. He's not a guy that is going to get you in trouble in the media, off the court. He's not a guy that is going to complain about playing time. he's going to do what it takes to help you win a basketball game.
1: Uh, just uh, throwing this out there. You know, a lot of times, like you hear all different types of reasons, like oh, you can't take this particular guy because they're never successful. Like oh, you take a Texas running back because they'll be great in the. Pro- you stay away from Duke players; they're always bad. Duke players aren't. When when I hear that, I just like you know how many Duke players have had great careers in the NBA, and people just tend to forget about them because there's been a couple guys that didn't. You know, so uh, I hear that type of stuff. But I have to laugh at it.
0: Oh, it, it's it's uh, it's a little. It's a little crazy, to be honest with you, that people don't think a guy like J.J. Reddick, who helped the Magic into the playoffs, who helped them win a playoff series, they they just, they just like to hate on him because they can. And uh, we actually have a caller in here uh, wants to talk a little bit about John Shire. Mike in Lake Villa joins us on Two Guys and a Mike 888-463-6748, if you'd like to chime in as well. Mike, what do you want to talk about today, my friend? You called in yesterday. It's good to hear your voice again.
2: Hey, listen, I'm, I'm listening to you today. I'm enjoying the uh, the banter about the NBA draft and specifically John Shire. Um, I had a question for you guys, a, a comment uh, uh, on my own. Is, is John Shire better off not getting drafted tonight? I, I know that would be a great honor, but is he better off not getting drafted tonight and instead of being pigeonholed by one team into one team, being able himself, because he's a very bright guy, you know that, and he's got like good people around him, Picking and choosing between six or seven teams as a free agent and finding the potential best fit for him. Is he one of these guys that the uh, when the draft went to two rounds, it was supposed to help? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, just a thought. I was wondering what you guys thought about that take on it. Yeah, well, I think he's fair. going to be an NBA player. I think he's going to make an NBA team, and, I, and I've been listening to you guys and I agree with you 100%. But I'm wondering if, if, if that wouldn't be the best scenario for him, what you guys thought about that uh, possibility. You
1: know that's not a bad idea because if he doesn't get taken in the in the late first round, which is basically he's slotted with a contract and all that other stuff, that might not be a bad idea. If he if he does have an option of knowing somebody that needs a, a you know a one and two, a, like a combo guard, definitely, you know then he might be better off in a situation like that. Now, if you ask him, I'm a hundred percent certain he'd rather get drafted because you know I mean he's a basketball player. It's all part of the dream and everything that happens. So. But if he has an option of of somebody that needs a a guard right now, that that might not be a bad idea for him, Justin.
0: Yeah, and Mike, I would agree with you here. I think that if he doesn't get drafted, it's not the the end of the world. I think the kid is going to make it in the NBA no matter what happens. Obviously, if you get drafted in the NBA, that's a, a great moment. Uh, it's something you remember for the rest of your life. But at the same time, as long as I've known John, it's. It's more about playing. It's more about getting to that next level and showing that he can excel and proving his doubters wrong and, and making sure that people understand that he can, he can make it in this league. And I honestly think that regardless of what happens in the draft, he's going to make the NBA. Is it better for him if he gets to pick and shoes? i, I got to be honest. I think yes in some respects because then he can go to a, a team that says, we, we want you but we had to take these two picks or these three picks in the draft. Or maybe they didn't have two picks. or may, Yeah, or maybe they didn't have two picks and maybe they only had one pick. Maybe let, Let's say you're the Chicago Bulls and you have the 17th pick in the draft. Yes, you're not a proven winning team, but you've made the playoffs the last two years. Let's say John doesn't get drafted and he gets the play for his hometown Chicago Bulls. Number one, that's a dream come true for him. And number two, you slot him in a team that wants him, that said, you know, we couldn't take you, but we wanted you anyways. We just couldn't afford to take you at the 17th pick. So, yes, Mike, I, I have to agree with you. I think it would be a good idea, but getting drafted in the NBA draft is something that every kid that plays basketball dreams of.
2: Oh, absolutely. I agree. It's it's, it's, uh, it's definitely kind of six of one half dozen of the other. I'm, I know he's going to get an opportunity, but the, the honor of being drafted, and I don't know about the ins and outs. Financially, it might be better for him, too. That being, might be another factor. You know, Joel, you made a comment about the the first run and the slotting. I don't know about all that. I was just kind of thinking about his best opportunity uh, uh, to make the NBA. So uh, uh, yeah, in thanks. the long run, just as long as he has the opportunity, you know, I think that's
1: going to be the, like the key factor for him. Right. Uh, the best thing is, Mike, is even if he doesn't get drafted,
2: uh, he's not going to have to learn how to speak Turkish. If you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. No, not anymore. Not anymore. No, yeah, no I he's, think he's proved himself definitely. Yeah.
0: Okay, Michael, thanks for joining us. Mike from Lake Villa call in guys. for the second straight day on TalkZone.com. Two guys in a mic, 888-463-6748. And uh, we'll take a quick break here, Big Dog. We'll come back. We'll talk I a have little a bit. for you, Joe. Oh, okay, go ahead. By the
1: way. Go. I, I, I know like, we're not looking into it, but I have a question for you. So when we come back, I know you have stuff planned, but I, I have a, a certain question about a rumor that I hear you started. So okay. I have a rumor that you started a rumor.
0: Okay. We will uh, we will get to that rumor. Big Dog's question for me, which I to be honest I'm dreading because you never know what's going to come out of Big Dog's mouth. And uh, if you want to chime in, chime in I should say in the second half of our show eight 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 four six three six seven four eight eight eight. Go for it. This is two guys in a mic on TalkZone.com. We're back here on Two Guys and a Mic, TalkZone.com, Justin Weiner and the big dog Joel Rodwanski joining us via phone line for the rest of this half hour. Just about five minutes past the bottom of the hour, 1035 here in Chicago, a beautiful day in Chicago compared to yesterday when it was just a gloomy, miserable day for one Cubs fans, for Blackhawks fans. And, and I, I said this to my, to myself, Joel, I said, Mother Nature, putting all these tornado sirens or having them go off in this nasty weather. It was her way of saying she didn't like the Blackhawks trading away Big Buff.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> we can go into that. You know, I have, like, you know, you get your friends like, oh, Justin, blah, blah, blah. You must know you're in sports. So I'm sure you got the text message. You know, who the heck are these guys oh, that they traded for Big Buff? With? if you actually acted like you knew who these guys were, Okay, <laughs> Seriously, my friends are asking me, like, do you really think I have that little of a life that I would know who these players are?
0: Well, I, it's it's funny because I, I, I like, like you. I got the text messages. Why are they getting rid of Bufflin? Why are they getting rid of Bufflin? It was 13 text messages, 13, 14 text messages within about five minutes of yeah. different people saying, why are they getting rid of Buff? And, you know, I work for WGN Radio, so I've been around the team. I've, I've been around the, the team basically the entire Stanley Cup run. And I can tell you confidently that it is a good move.
1: Oh, well, I, I understand because they had to get something for Bufflin, right? Exactly.
0: Basically. They had to get something for Bufflin. And we can, I mean, we can delve into all the different, uh, aspects of, you know, he was such a great player. He was, uh, the Robert Ory of the Blackhawks in terms of how he shined in the playoffs. But where was he for 75% of the regular season?
1: Yeah, he, this is the second year he's done that, by mm-hmm.
0: the way. He's a $3 million cap hit. When the Blackhawks, yeah. the Blackhawks knew at the end of the season when they won the Stanley Cup that it was not going to be the same team. The core of guys was going to be the same. You knew you were going to have Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Marion Hosa, Brent Seabrook. Those five guys you knew were going to be there. You didn't know about Bufflin. You didn't know about Versteeg. You didn't know about Sharp. Now, If if it's me and I'm making the decisions, and again, I would always defer judgment towards the Bowmans because they know how to win Stanley Cups. Twelve for Scottie. Twelve Stanley Cup championships. That's enough to give you credibility and for people not to question you.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that one.
0: That having been said, Bufflin is a wild card. I mean, you you didn't know what you were going to get out of him on a nightly basis. He could be the playoff shutdown power forward that he was in the Stanley Cup playoffs, or he could be a non-factor and play eight minutes on the defensive end when they had to move him there for Brian Campbell. You just you didn't know what you were going to get out of Bufflin. And for $3 million, that's a lot of money for a guy that you don't know, that has potential, but you don't know if he's going to utilize it.
1: Yeah, and it's a hard cap in the NHL. And if if you could go over the NHL's cap, David, I guarantee you Brocky Works would do it in order to keep people. But you can't do that anymore. You have to have a certain payroll. You can't go over it.
0: Yes, very very much true. And also in that deal were, were Ben Eager and Brent Sopel. Brent Sopel, arguably the defensive MVP or 1A behind maybe Duncan Keith in the playoffs, a tremendous amount of block shots, a great defenseman. But in terms of his his value and value for the for the money that he was getting paid, you have to think that the Blackhawks just—they had to get rid of him. And Ben Eager, a big guy, but that's that's not a spot as a fourth liner that Brian Bickle can't fill.
1: Oh, I, I agree with you with there. Now, Ben Eager is like a like the like the tenth overall draft pick in the mm-hmm. draft, you know. And he and what he is—he's a, a like a big body that fills a certain role, and you know, and he's made a couple spectacular plays, but. It's one of these things, and the way that in the current NHL is, you know, next year there's going to be other guys that rise to the rise to the top yes. because Tate and Kane and Seabiscuit and Keith are such good players that other decent players are going to look a lot better because of them. And you know what? The Hawks are going to lose those guys too because of salary cap. Hit. Yes. So this is going to be a continuing story. Hopefully that core can continue to play at such a high level, and hopefully the Hawks organi- organization – We'll be able to, you know, find good players that can meld with their superstars, and we can every year. This is something that we have to talk about. Who are the good players that we're going to lose this year? Yeah. If, you, if you see where I'm going with all this.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And also, one of the other trades, Colin Fraser going to the Edmonton Oilers for a draft pick. So uh, it, it is certainly a. Um, a salary cap dumping extravaganza uh, if you're the Blackhawks. But, and, and we'll just finish our Blackhawks talk here because I know you wanted to ask me a question yeah, uh, about definitely. a certain rumor. But the one thing is you got to imagine that Cristobal Huey will either be playing somewhere in France, <laughs> somewhere in the European League, or will be sent down to the minors so that the Blackhawks don't have to take his $5 million plus on their cap hit and what, okay, but, what you've done now is you've freed up $10 million of salary cap room.
1: Not, okay, I, that's, I don't understand the NHL contracts like I do basketball, baseball, and football. If They could actually put him in the minors, and not, that $5 million won't count against their salary cap. Because no. in basketball or football... Well, football there, you know, you can cut the guy, and the only thing that counts is your, uh, is your signing bonus. But they can actually get him off the books, is what you're saying to me, yes.
2: without trading him.
0: Yes. They can send him down to Rockford, the Rockford River Hogs, and hopefully there's, uh, I think it was David Haw that wrote this the other day in the Tribune that, uh, he hopes that there's a lot of French restaurants in Rockford because that's where Huey is headed. And I don't see any way around There's
2: a that. lot of Ethiopian restaurants there.
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> delicious. And I gotta be honest. I don't see any way around the fact that, Corey Crawford will be coming up next year to be the backup goalie behind Antony Emi. And you know you're going to have to renegotiate Antony contract. And he's going to be asking for more money. And he deserves it the way he played down the stretch. Absolutely. So if you're the Blackhawks, you if you send Huey down, which is all signs are pointing to that, you've already now, in two days, you've cleared up just about $10 million of cap room. That's a lot of cap room. It's a lot to clear out, especially having to renegotiate certain guys' contracts. And, you know, again, like I said to you a couple minutes ago, I'm going to defer all of my judgment and all of my hockey analysis to the Bowman family because yes. they know how to win. So people that are questioning these moves, the people that just became acquainted with hockey, that just In learned three. how to spell Bufflin, that just found out who Jonathan Taves was, not Toes. Yeah. I mean, these people... They, they fell in love with Dustin Bufflin, but would you rather a GM? Would you rather Stan Bowman fall in love with a guy like Bufflin, and him turn into a bust next year or the ne- year after, and you have to eat his contract instead of getting a couple good draft picks and making this team better in the upcoming years?
1: Well, you know, I I, I couldn't agree more. They had to get somebody for him, and if you don't understand the actual um, financial situations that teams are in. You shouldn't really talk about what their moves they're making. Honestly, I don't want to sound pompous. There, like, oh, no, I don't no, know no, about agree. sports, but it's it's the truth. If you really don't understand the the collective bargaining agreement, teams don't just get rid of good players for no reason. The ninety nine percent of all moves are made nowadays are because of financial ramifications inside the actual uh, organization. So, uh, stuff like this sometimes have to happen. I guarantee, if this was the 1990-type collective bargaining agreement, all these guys would still be Blackhawks next year. For sure. But the the one thing I'm worried about, Justin, is I'm not totally sold on Anthony Niemi. One-year contract is what I'd give that dude, and I'd pay him a boatload. I would take the truck, I'd back it up, and dump it on him for one year and say, prove it to us again. That's personally what I would do. I would not give this guy anything. I wouldn't give him, like, no four- or five-year deal. Absolutely
0: not. I, I, I would I would feel the same way. I don't think you give him more than maybe a one or two year deal. Um I think that that's what he's going to be asking for. But that having been said, by the way, just to interrupt us here, eleven hours now of Mahut Eisner. Eleven hours. Yeah, and see, I'm I'm in the backyard in the pool right now. So
2: <laughs> I, I, there, how many things out.
0: could you do in 11 hours? We'll get to that in a second as we finish our Blackhawks talk. Is How many things could you do in 11 hours? Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. If you could think of something that you could do in 11 hours that you can't do in terms of finishing a tennis match, a first-round tennis match at Wimbledon. But, again, back to your point, Joel. Niemi, I don't want to give him that big contract yet. Because, like you said, he showed signs of greatness. He showed signs of... Okay, can I really, am I comfortable in the net here? Can I stop these pucks? And you saw it even in the playoffs. He had the, the first game against the Flyers, a 7-6 game. You, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was scared. The The fact of the matter is, the Blackhawks simply were too good in that game. They were all over Boucher and Leighton. Well, Leighton then Boucher, yeah. I should say. but. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. Is that you? You can't give Niemi a big contract. You still want to see him prove it for an entire season, and you're going to have Corey Crawford come in there and spell him a few games. Corey Crawford won his only game that he played during the season. I believe it was against the uh, the Colorado Avalanche, who, by the way, the Blackhawks start their season on or start their season with October seventh. Yeah, they, 7th. they, they
1: the uh, what do you call it? yeah the schedule came
0: out mm-hmm. days ago. So. Yeah, so you know it, we'll we'll see a lot. We'll, we will realize a lot in the next few weeks, and obviously the NHL draft coming up uh, this weekend, and a lot of things will be settled. We will see what team we will have when we watch the Blackhawks open up their season at home on October 9th against the Red Wings when they raise that Stanley Cup banner in front of one of the most hated teams in Chicago, uh, or I should say hated teams for Chicago fans, the Detroit Red Wings, and I really think that... This team is still going to win fifty games. Forty. I mean, I still think they're going to win forty-five to fifty games. They're they're still very talented.
1: I, I see them having a rough uh, start of next year.
0: Uh,
1: okay. And I, I see them having like the getting like the third or fourth seed in the in the conference next year.
0: Well, the, then I, I mean, that wouldn't be the worst
1: thing. Conference.
0: It wouldn't be the, the worst thing because they got the number two seed this year. They could have had the one oh. seed. They had the three seed two years ago, and you know it, it almost. Two years ago, when they lost to Detroit in the Western Conference Finals, it almost seemed as if they were intimidated by the Detroit Red Wings.
1: Uh, well, they're not, they won't be intimidated by anybody. No. And let, let San Jose have the number one overall record in hockey, and then let the Hawks go out to San Jose you know, and, and whoop them out on their ice. I could see it happen again next year.
2: So
0: <laughs> Exactly. Well, 888-463-6748, 888-GO-FOR-IT if you'd like to talk with us about anything that has to do with the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the upcoming NBA draft, uh, Chicago baseball, as as bad as it is, uh, especially on the north side. Uh, not Whoa. on the south side. The south side has just been the the white hot uh, White Sox. Uh, but before we get to any of that, Joel, you said to me before the break you had a question for me, and I think yeah, I have it. a sneaky suspicion as to what it's going to be about.
1: Yeah, and uh, just I just wanted to make sure this was you, and I'm, I'm assuming it is. He talked about things that you can do in 11 hours. Well, on 11th second, you turn the whole Chicago sports media on its ear because I'm sitting here, I'm uh, I'm doing dishes one day after making breakfast, and I hear T. Uh, y. Tommy Waddle say Justin Weiner of, of WGN Radio. I'm like, Hey, I know him, and I was, <laughs> says that LeBron James is shopping for a house in Highland Park. Now, was that you? It was you. It right? was
0: me. And and by the way, as we're as we're talking about this. Eisner is up. Match point number five. 40-30, 69-68 is the game. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. But yes, that was me. Uh, I got a a tip, a call from one of my, uh, one of my buddies that said, you're never gonna believe who I just saw in Highland Park. Shopping for houses. I don't know if he was shopping for houses, but he he came out of a house, a nice house on Sheridan Road, and he got into, uh, a Range Rover, and I, I couldn't believe it. I go, I have no idea who it was. Now I've heard reports that it was, uh Julius Peppers and you know, they do look alike, Julius Peppers uh-huh. and LeBron James. But you know, I am not gonna I'm not gonna doubt my buddy. I'm not gonna tell him and there we go, Eisner just wins. Sorry about that.
2: Oh no, Eisner, no absolutely. Eisner 70-68. wins
0: seventy to sixty eight in the longest tennis match ever. And this the longest
1: sporting event ever.
0: Of uh, a warm embrace. From Eisner and Mahout, and wow, this is this is just fantastic. What an unbelievable scene. If you're watching this on ESPN, Eisner giving so much credit to to Nicholas Mahout, who just who lost the uh who basically was broken in, in the fifth set. The first break. The first service break in the fifth set out of God, I can't even 138 games. Wow, this is it, it's just unbelievable. But getting back to my point here, we'll, and we'll talk about Wimbledon in a second here. LeBron James, yes, that was me who, who had, uh, who had reported that. And I put it up, um, I actually wrote a, a blog post about it on winerswords.wordpress.com. It's, uh, W E I N E R S dot the winers words, uh, little blog site. And I, I wrote about it and I said, look, there are so many signs pointing to LeBron James coming here. And number one being, yes, he was house shopping. Now I could be 100% wrong but what ha- I mean how could you why would you lie about that that's my question why would my guy lie about seeing him in Highland Park
1: no he if he did that to you he definitely is not
0: a friend exactly okay. if, if he did that he didn't see him then exactly he's not a friend but the fact of the matter is he saw him and and I believe him now there are plenty of real estate agents and plenty of people that tried to come out and refute the claim and um, people that again like I said they they saw Julius peppers and uh, people that Basically, just didn't want to believe it because it was almost too good to be true. But I have to, I, I got to tell you, it's, it is what it is. I, I honestly think that with LeBron James, he, whether he was house shopping for a summer home or house shopping for a home in Chicago, the signs are pointing to LeBron James coming to Chicago.
1: It, it, it totally makes sense. Everything makes sense for him to come here. To be honest with you, because. It, he's not going to the Clippers. No. The the Knicks are extremely bad. He'd be going to a worse team around him than he would is with the Cavs. He he wants to go somewhere where Nike will give him the most money, and the the only teams that are left would be New Jersey, Boston, and Chicago. They can't fit him under the cap in Boston. Why would he go to New Jersey even if they moved to Brooklyn? So if you want to win a championship, you want the max deal from Nike, uh, you you want to be the focus of a whole entire city and a city that is – on the Central Coast, which makes it uh, as big uh, worldwide as even Los Angeles and New York is because the media is that, that bigger, so you still mm-hmm. will be on that
0: world stage It's the city of Chicago. Yeah, uh, and it really I, makes sense. to be honest, uh, again, I'm not predicting the future. I'm just telling you the most likely scenario, given all the events that have occurred. You, you've heard MJ say that LeBron is coming to Chicago. You have Tom really? Thibodeau. Yes, MJ, MJ has said that he believes Tom, that LeBron James will come to Chicago. You've you've heard that Tom Thibodeau is now the new coach of the NBA, uh, the the Chicago Bulls. He's new. He's the new franchise or the new face of the Chicago Bulls in the NBA, and they share the same agent. I'm not. You know, I'm I'm the same organization. Yeah, I'm the big, I'm the big uh, conspiracy theory guy here. So if if you're looking at conspiracy theories and you're looking at Tom Thibodeau being hired. The possibility of LeBron James shopping for houses, the possibility of the rumors that went around of him hanging out with Derrick Rose and Joe Noah for a week, the week after they were knocked out of the Eastern Conference playoffs. When you look at all of that, i I, I got to be honest, I think the best fit for him is Chicago. Because whether or not he wants to be the next Michael Jordan or wants to fill that void, well, I wouldn't even call it a void because there, there can't be a next Michael Jordan He is best fitted. He's a best fit for Chicago.
1: And he has to go someplace where he'll win. Because if he goes to New York, he's not going to win. And all of a sudden, people are going to be labeling him him as a loser. Because it's going to take him at least three or four years to build enough team uh, around him in New York in order for him to win. So he doesn't want to go someplace where he's labeled a loser. He could win immediately in, Mm -hmm. in the city of Chicago. Now, you work for WGN. I'm just wondering... I, I bet you they don't want LeBron coming to Chicago in some weird way because they have the Blackhawks contract. The last thing they want is not to have the Blackhawks be the biggest thing during the middle of the winter.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, to be honest, I think. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Chicago sports fan. If LeBron James comes here, and you get both of those guys, or I should say both of the teams, let me let me correct uh-huh. myself there. You get both understood, teams. Understood. You get both teams playing at a very high level. You're still going to sell out the Madhouse because the teams can't play there at the same time. Uh-huh. They share the same, the same, uh, stadium at the United Center. But I don't, I honestly don't think that will take away from the viewership or listenership from either team because yes, you're going to get an, a, a greater following for the Chicago Bulls because everyone's going to want to watch LeBron James. He's the next best thing since Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. But you're still going to have the Blackhawks, who are coming off a Stanley Cup championship. You're still going to have them winning games that they should win in their division, in their conference, and still make a run for the playoffs. The Bulls, on the other hand, they're a team that has squeaked into the playoffs as the eighth seed the last two years, and they've been ousted in the first round. Now granted, back two years ago when they took Boston to seven games, that was a lot of fun to watch. But I, I'll i be honest with you, I did not think they were going to win that game. I didn't think that they would win that series in, in the Game 7. I just I thought either. Boston was too much for them. I thought it was a great story that the Bulls, the, the young Bulls, were able to give Boston a run. But in response to your, your, your question, your statement about you know, WGN having a problem with it, I don't think they would because what's good for... The Bulls is good for the city, is good for all the stations that cover sports in Chicago. Because if the Bulls are doing well, that gives us a lot more to talk about.
1: We, we actually had a, an example of this in the city of Chicago, and it was only 20 years ago. Because so, if you talk about uh, early 90s, even before the Bulls won the championship, uh, you know they were a favorite to win the championship. And the Hawks were also considered just like a, a little bit less of a team than the Bulls were in the NBA, as opposed to the NHL. And... The, the what do you call it the the madhouse on Madison the original one the old barn Chicago Stadium was always full and people you know we got enough Blackhawk information and we got enough Bulls information so this this city is big enough to handle two uh, superstar team and a superstar led team and then also a Stanley Cup champion team.
0: I I completely agree I completely agree. and We only have a couple more minutes left on the show here. Uh, big dog Joel Rodwanski joining us on the line. I'm Justin Weiner. Two guys into MikeTalkZone.com. Your Weekday sports diversion here, uh, from 10 to 11 every weekday. And, uh, Joe, we've had a pretty good show. We had John Shire on, talked about the NBA draft in, in the first, uh, hour, talked a little bit about the Blackhawks trade rumors and also with the whole LeBron James coming to Chicago. And of course we have, uh, the final, the, the never ending tennis match that finally ended, uh, with John Eisner beating Nicholas Mahut 70 to 68 in the fifth set and what a just unbelievable display of athleticism!
1: Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. I'm glad all this other stuff was going around because I really didn't want to sit here and rip on the Chicago Cubs for an hour.
0: Oh, I, neither did I. Because watching that's them last my job, night, you know, that's yeah. what
1: I have to do. The rest of the right, right when we hang up, I have to start ripping on the Cubs for the next 16 hours.
0: Yep, and I, I complete it, it's something that you have to do because I watched them last night. I watched them. I produced the game for WGN, and it was painful. Absolutely painful. Randy Wells is has now not won a game in his last ten starts.
1: Yeah, it, it has been pretty. Actually, that was without a doubt his best start he's had in a long
0: time. Yeah, I mean he didn't give up five runs in the first inning.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that'll
0: help. <laughs> you know that that's that's just what it, what it's come down to is it's almost as if it's almost as if the the Cubs have become accustomed to losing. And we talked about this yesterday on the show, and I'm sure it'll be a common topic for the rest of the summer, that this is the Cubs team. Take it for what it's worth. They're not going to win a championship. It is what it is. It is what it is. And i got to be honest, Joel, it's going to be a tough road for you guys.
1: Yeah, and uh, just to throw this out there to everybody, my TV show, Black and Blue City, talking Cub baseball, talking, talking West Sox baseball with Jack topic. We'll be filming tomorrow at U.S. Cellular Field in Parking Lot B. Get out there. We're serving out beer. We're serving out brats. You got to be 21 though to get a beer. It's all free. Uh, Chicago, uh, seriously, Parking Lot B. So Justin, if you—that's why I'm not doing the show tomorrow. So, okay. If you can get out there by one, I I would love to get out,
0: especially if you're serving free beer. I might have to come out and find you.
1: Yeah, right when we said free beer, I'm like, we're going to have a... Exactly,
0: exactly. Thanks a lot to the big dog, Joel Rodwanski, for joining in. This is Justin Weiner, two guys in a mic on TalkZone.com. We will check in with you tomorrow. I'm sure we will talk about the brutal Chicago Cubs and also the white-hot White Sox as they go for a sweep of the NL-leading Braves today at U.S. Cellular Field. But for Joel Rodwanski, a thank you to John Shire for joining us. This is Justin Weiner. Have a great day, folks. Two guys in the mic on TalkZone.com.